When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Now, for a dude who's as credible as Freddie Gibbs is, you know, um, in, not only in street cred, but as an artist, um, to give Drake, who has been dragged over the years for, you know, um, having had people write for him and things like that, to give it up to Drake's pen game like that, what kind of a statement is that? I think hip hop will always be a void for the people. Yeah, what's going on, man? Man, I'm uh, doing well. How are you? Good, good. Happy uh, belated fourth. Yes, sir. You too. How was Philly? It was good. You know, they didn't do uh, like any city-sanctioned fireworks this year, but uh, that did not stop the amateurs from going ham, as uh, <laughs> as they have been for uh, really since, you know, the last three weeks. So, uh, man, it was cool. It was nice. I, I had a, I had too good of a time. Hope it doesn't show up. How about you? Yeah, uh, I could probably say the same. Yeah, it was a good time. <laughs> yeah, uh, fireworks were crazy. Yeah, not official either, but like you, you couldn't tell. It was, it yeah. was insane. And yeah, this week, this month has been, I should say, uh, last four weeks or so has been off the charts. You know. Yeah, I can't definitely. Recall. Only thing I feel bad for are the dogs, man. Like I know you, uh, you're, a, you're a dog owner and a lover as well, and. They were still going off the top of buildings at 2 a.m. right outside this window. And, uh, man, I was doing some puppy triage. Yeah, it was no joke. No yeah. joke. Well, speaking of fireworks, last week the BET Awards uh, were absolutely, in my mind, incredible. You know, yeah. um, I've been to probably nine BET Awards in the last, like, 11 years or so in person. And I can't remember any that were more impactful for me. You know, I mm. thought they did a phenomenal job in terms of just, you know, navigating the whole virtual thing. Yeah. But then also, like, just just how powerful it was, you know, uh, starting out, kicking off with that Public Enemy um, 2020 remix of Fight the Power. But what, yeah. what was your thought on that? Yeah, I mean, I thought the award show was excellent. Um, you know, in the years, you know, you're being a little bit humble. I mean, you, you had a heavy hand in a lot of the BDT awards. And was this the first time that it had ever been simulcast on CBS? Or yeah. like a network like that. So yeah, that was great. So. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, to reach the living rooms of a bunch of people that are about to tune in, you know, for NCIS something and, you <laughs> know, to <minutes>. see <laughs> yeah, Andy Rooney uh, and to see Fight the Power 2020. That was amazing. I mean, the highlights for me were that and, um, you know, Anderson and J-Rock was a phenomenal performance. But yeah, I mean, I've been kind of cool on... Um, you know, award shows for a while now. I mean, I always watch the Grammys. I, I always watch the BET Hip Hop Awards. Um, but this one, truly, like, this brought me back to the early 2000s when those were, like, must-see events just to see your favorite artists on TV. And, um, man, yeah. I mean, what were some of the highlights for you? Yeah, I mean, so those tuning, tuning in for 60 Minutes were greeted by a very different clock. You know what I mean? Yeah, uh, word. <laughs> <laughs> well played. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, man, like it was wild. Like, um, 
I hit up uh, Connie Orlando, who is the EVP of music programming at BET, former colleague of mine, and Jesse Collins, who produced it. He's produced the last 10 plus awards, uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, colleague, former colleague and friend. And dude, I think they set the paradigm. Like, yeah. you know, to me, this was better than it would have been had it been the traditional, you know, on stage, you know, multiple performances and stuff like that. Just the visuals were much more um, engaging. You know, I thought yeah. that um, P was awesome and cutting it up with the protest material and stuff like that was really great and powerful. But then stuff like, you know, Wayne Brady's Little Richard tribute, uh, you know, it was really cool. It looked like a single take, although, you know, I'm sure they, they filmed it a couple times, but it looked like a single take and he's yeah. just so talented. Uh, Anderson Pack and J-Rock, uh, Pockwood and J-Rock were like um, a highlight for me. You know, yeah. we talked about that song. And J-Rock, you know, killed his verse, you know, even more, uh, I think, when he did it in the performance. So It was better than, uh, a lot than it was on the record. I agree with you. And what, I mean, I just thought what Anderson did with that um, flashlight microphone was just iconic, you know. Yeah, um, that, that was ill. That was one of the best performances I've seen in a, in a long time to one of the most meaningful songs of 2020 so far. Yeah. And Megan Thee Stallion, she was, she was amazing. Like, yeah. yeah, the Mad Max homage, like, I mean... The whole thing was really, really, really well done. It was balanced, which I know you, you know, you personally have worked really hard over the years for the hip hop awards, but not always. And, and I, you know, I'm, I'm at, you know, a, a few steps back because I don't always catch just the straight BET awards in June. But this was one of the best balanced shows where, you know, just from a hip hop head's perspective, there was something for everyone, new, old. And yeah, I mean, you know, you, we talk about these battles. It's something that felt like, if people are on quarantine and you've got all members of the family, different, you know, age groups, different interests, there's something for everyone there. And it had meaning to the times. And yeah. um, to your point too, like the, the, the virtual aspect of it, it's funny, like there's an element of award shows that to me still seem like they're in an ivory tower. Like there's a very much like us and them. And I feel like there's sometimes a disconnect just because these concerts are different than you, these shows are different than you would see in a concert and all of that. This one was like watching straight all original content on YouTube, like what a lot of us do day in and day out, but it was just of a high production value and very relevant. Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting you mentioned that. In some ways, it reminded me of the first YouTube Music Awards. Do you remember those? No. Yeah, I actually attended the, the first one. I think they only did like one or two of them. But, um, and it was called that? YouTube Music Awards is actually okay. produced by Sally Pertini, uh, another friend and former colleague. You know, she uh, did probably the first 20 or so VMAs and like mm-hmm. the Super Bowl halftime with uh, with Justin Timberlake and Jimmy oh, wow. Jackson. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, pretty, pretty crazy one. But um, she did that. And what it was, was uh, it was a live performance, but it was a series of music videos that were basically taped live okay. and then like chopped up and put out. And so it was meant to be like individual segments and the BT awards felt a lot like that. Although the, the, the flow was much more, uh, there was a m- much more continuity in the flow for me. So yeah. it felt more like, um, like a strung out program show than the YouTube music awards. It felt that felt kind of like separate music videos just kind of put together. You know, how important do you think that is? I mean, just for award shows in general, but also, I mean, given your expertise for BET right now, I mean, this is a year of, of, of in large part black issues and you know how important is it that black entertainment television with one of its most important events of the year plants a flag and really shows out the way that it did 
You know, I thought it was great that they went as hard as they did. Every single video, I think, uh, with the exception of maybe the Little Richard one, was very much about what's going on in the country right now. And very, yeah. It was a very, very pro-Black show, like unabashedly Black, unashamedly Black, like like Beyonce's Super Bowl halftime show, like the homecoming at Coachella. It was like that. I thought it was important because I don't know about you, but I already start, you know, it seems like the momentum started to downshift a little bit, although, yeah. you know, um, there are some really nice spikes. I think for me, what's been pleasant is that even if the protests have started to like shrink a little bit, it's shifted into boycott. Um, and yeah. I think we talked about this, like people forget that what really caused change back in the sixties was boycott, you know, right. people walking to work and for a year. And we're seeing that now with like what's happening with Facebook, what's happening with the, the Redskins. And so it's starting to feel like the movement is really, really becoming serious now, which is fantastic to me. So I think BT being as big of a, um, a platform as it is and getting the added push from CBS, being able to be that outspoken has kept the fire going. Yeah, I um. I like that a lot. And just, you know, taking it one step deeper, you know, in one of the earliest episodes of what's the headline, I don't, you know, I know I came on here and was disappointed in the um, Chuck D and Flavor Flav, like the story that they came up of it being kind of a hoax that Flavor was fired from the group over this Bernie Sanders campaign thing. And, you know, over the last month, we've seen a PE track produced by DJ Premier, which I know both you and I thought was significant, but maybe not our favorite that fight the power 2020 was amazing and it's it doesn't work if it's just a tribute like you need chuck and Flav there and i thought you know um you know certainly nas was was amazing and we know that nas is not always quick to get involved with things but man he showed up at the right time and rhapsody was whoo her her verse is nuts incredibly powerful black thought i mean yeah like, yeah, yeah come on you know interesting I, I thought all of them were amazing but I would say I still got the most amped when, you know, Chuck comes back in with Elvis. Yeah, oh, yeah. Hero to most. Like, that. that's still, like, you know, to this day, man, just yeah. gets me hyped up, so. When he said another summer, like, I think of that, too. Like, here we are. It's funny. The first song that popped into my head this morning was Can't Stand the Heat by Steel Pulse. So, like, the elements of Do the Right Thing are still all around us, you know, yeah. and to come in and, you know, June Award show, boom, first words, like, man. Timeless, timeless art. Yeah, man. Shout out to Spike Lee, man. 33 years ago, uh, uh, right? 1987. 89. Uh, or 89, 89. Yeah, so, uh, she's 31 years ago. That's insane. Yeah. Um, it's insane. Also sad that it's so still very relevant. You know, yeah. like, uh, Radio Raheem was so jarring because prior to then, we hadn't really seen it on video. Yeah. Uh, so to see it on film was, was something that really just uh like put us in shop but now have seen that over and over and over again in real life it's pretty crazy you know yeah i mean it's interesting too like you know we spent some time in last week's episode you know i spoke about a situation that i went through and i live in a pretty diverse but historically black community in philadelphia and there's a lot of businesses there that are not black owned but that survive based on the black dollar and much like the end of do the right thing and and that kind of plot point of conflict like you know, there's been a lot of evaluation in many communities of, okay, you're here to sell us products, but are you really invested in our issues? And, you know, Danny Aiello passed away over the last year. I thought that was the role of his career playing Sal. 
Um, but I always think of Sal's pizza as an interesting, just illustration of, man, how does this really work? And how do customers view or how do businesses view their customers? So on and so forth. Yeah. You know, um, Netflix, I don't know if you saw, but they uh, announced they're going to invest a hundred million dollars in black banks. Yeah. Um, and that to me is the ultimate power statement. You know, like if you can actually put dollars in the black community, you know, Killer Mike has been very outspoken about that, even with us and like, you know, yeah. keeping the dollar within the black community. Um, that's putting your money where your mouth is. So, yeah. 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 And there's a, not to, we remiss not to include uh, July 7th, you know, this coming Tuesday, I've seen on social media, there's a call to arms of, withdrawing money um not spending it at any place that is big business and isn't respecting not only black folks but union laborers a lot of this so i'm interested to see how the rest of 2020 progresses um with people bringing change you know and and using their dollars with care how are those businesses being identified do you know that gets tricky um i've only seen you know a handful of it and i see it as i scroll instagram or check stories but um you know i have not for nothing like i've seen a lot of um so to answer your question there um i can't speak on it but i have seen a lot of people identifying businesses that are doing good you know i mean even down to like that netflix point or even you know i live in philadelphia comcast invested um i want to say it was 100 million dollars in black lives matter um, you know, and I even saw like politically, like Lowe's gives their money to this political party, but Home Depot does to this political party. So I've seen a lot of people doing the research that make us all, um, you know, when you buy a carton of orange juice, you, you suddenly mind where it's going and, and the people, what they're behind. So I, I think that's one of the good things of social media in 2020. Yeah. Brand Jordan is doing a hundred million dollars, uh, over 10 years also to, I think Black Lives Matters. Yeah. Uh, Dude, it's crazy. That's that's power, man. Like that I money is power, and I saw the New York Times flowing into the community. New York Times, uh, I can't say speculates, but there was a report over the weekend that Black Lives Matter is the largest um, social group of all time in the United States. You know, it might be world, but I, it's nuts. Well, I saw that uh, an article saying that this is the largest protest of all time. Um, okay, you know, um, I think something like twenty six million people have have participated in a protest. Wow. Over the, the last like five weeks or so, that's, that's yeah. you know, that is, you know, we look back at the sixties and those images are so iconic, you know, um, but it was only, uh, to my knowledge, a few hundred thousand, maybe a million people marched on Washington for the, uh, I have a dream speech. Yeah. But, um, you know, to, to see this across the country in so many communities, many of which are not even like, uh, not predominantly black, but not black at all. Like, yeah. Uh, it's amazing the traction that it's had, you know? Yeah, I was watching in my neighborhood yesterday, they, um, 52nd Street, which is a legendary hip-hop landmark for Schooly D and all of that. They were painting a Black Lives Matter sign-up. And, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at simply aesthetics and presenting, but it was like 10 people working on this painting. And as far as I could tell, none of them were Black folks. And I was like, man, that's, that's so interesting to see how this cause has rallied so many people of, you know, all... Uh, all, all shades and backgrounds. Yeah, you know, we talk about people and companies putting their money where their mouth is. Um, you know, as powerful that as that is, you can also see when things ring as completely inauthentic. Mm-hmm. Like to me, the NFL, like, you know, deciding to do lift every voice 
you know, uh, you know, before the games. And I, and I think it's just yeah. even a preseason. I don't even think they could do it for the full games. Right. As my guy pointed out that those games are likely to be canceled anyway. So, like, just like, what is that about, man? Really? Right. Like, I mean, they're, they're trying too hard. And, it, and to me, it seems like they're, they're looking kind of corny. Yeah, I mean, it's it's so interesting. I saw this, too, with June, you know, and, and Pride Month. I mean, so many companies put these very – just cursory messages out or they change their avatars or their logo coloring, you know, trying to be like Google. And then it's like the minute it's July 1st, they take that stuff down. And it seems so much of it disingenuous, especially in the wake of some of the examples that you and I have talked about. And I, growing up, man, I, I love more than any other sport. I'm an NFL guy. I'm a Pittsburgh native, but man, the NFL is just, uh, man, they, uh, <laughs> they need some new uh, marketing and PR. Yeah, and we knew the Redskins thing was coming, right? Like, I mean, it was obvious that that was going to be one of the things that was scrutinized during this period. So why why didn't they get ahead of it? You know, like why why does it have to be FedEx like threatening to, to or you know leaning on them to change the name that that causes them to do it? Right. Not, yeah. Do the right thing. You know. Right. And to your point, it's just money. Like FedEx doesn't want to be associated with that. I heard the Cleveland Indians are doing something similar right now. Um, just in the wake and they're over there looking at, you know, the skins and being like, oh man, what do we do? And I'm sure we'll see that across, you know, the NCAA and everything. And yeah, everyone's playing on their, their heels and not their toes, especially when it comes to pro sports, it seems like, Uh, especially the NFL. I think you and I have talked about it before. The NBA is, is an exception to that rule. Yeah. So FedEx, Nike doing what they're doing, uh, you know, because they pull the Redskins uh, jerseys, you know. Um, they pull oh, the word. Okay. Yeah, so crazy times, man. Um, well, uh, last Sunday we had some predictions about the the latest versus uh, yeah. matchup, you know, Jadakus versus Fabulous. Uh, we both said Fabulous was going to win. In fact, yeah. I think that was the headline. <laughs> that that was one of the headlines from the week. That was yeah. one of the headlines. Uh, uh, what do you think now, a week later? I think Jada took it. Um, you know, and I, I I will say I didn't I didn't watch it live. I watched plenty of highlights. I listened to a lot of discussion of folks more invested in that battle than myself. But I think Jada kind of brought the upset game, and and you know also probably as we've talked about that X factor in some of these battles, his uh, man. I mean. <laughs> The way that he delivered that that battle performance and just his kind of uh, pageantry and showmanship might have been the thing. But do you agree with me? You know, I caught the last ten and uh, and then the bonus round. So I would say, you know, by the time I turned, actually, I'd say that I caught like the last thirteen. I turned into like round okay. seven or so. Yeah. And when I tuned in, people were already like, you know, Jada's up like six one or you know seven one, whatever it was. It seemed to me to be a very, uh, it was a hometown crowd. Like he had the home crowd for him, you know. Um, but then Fab started playing his bangers. He started doing, the, you know, the, the collabs and stuff like that. Um, and so I said with the last 10, I would have given it to Fab probably, I don't know, 6-4 or something like that. Jada before the me. bonus round or including? Before the bonus round. Okay. Now, when the bonus round came, like, Fab just went, went berserk. Yeah. You know, I was like, yo, and a lot of people. Why'd you like, do yeah. this? <laughs> yeah, that's what, yeah. It, must, it was almost like he, like, threw the fight or something, you know, because that's his boy. Jada yeah. was lit, lit, lit. <laughs> he created he one of the good time. Yeah, he I mean, a good time. 
this is good for uh, Teddy Riley because I think that the most, <laughs> the most like <laughs> meme thing out of these battles was Teddy Riley with the ill sound system not working. <laughs> and now you've got Jada, like who's usually been pretty buttoned up. I mean, he's, he plays into his lyrics, but in rare form. You know, with that big smile and you know the yellow, yellow two-piece number. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I, I gotta say though, man, um, it was one of my favorite battles. Though, like, uh, interestingly, I like I didn't expect it, but it was up there with uh, Jill and Erica, and then Teddy and Babyface. Like, I, I might have liked this even better than Premier and uh, and Rizzo. I'll give you that. The energy yeah. was just, energy was high level. You know, the camaraderie was there. Jada was super entertaining, you know. Yeah. Um, and, like, yo, he had Jada, like, man, uh, yeah, my hat is off. Like, I, I definitely, he had so many bangers that I'd forgotten about, you know. Um, I was surprised. Yeah, have they announced the next one yet? Usually they do, like, moments after. I don't, this week, is there? there's none, right? Nah, not that I know. Okay. Well, there's, you know, the holiday, et cetera, so. Yeah, that makes sense. I uh, I don't think it's the last versus though. I can't imagine it ending nah, here. No, nah, I don't think so. And this one I actually think was better for being in person. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And the Monday night, too. Monday night was good. I mean, I'm curious to see if that's something that sticks as we go further in the summer. But you know, you and I have talked about it just on the entertainment publishing side. But Monday night is uh, it's a good time when people are hungry for quality content, and it seems like a sleeper night. But it's not. You can really gather people's attention. Yeah. So we're halfway into the year, more than half now, with uh, July 4th, you know, passing yeah. by. Uh, we had a tradition at AFH of doing, you know, a mid-year kind of roll call where we listed best of, you know, best of the year so far. Yeah. That was something that you came up with. Why did you, why did you like, uh, like to do it in June? I, um... You know, I think it's something that it wasn't necessarily about you and I and Amanda and our team telling people what we liked. It was a conversation starter. And often I put myself in the shoes of fans. There have been days recently where I'm like, I'll go on Wikipedia, you know, 2020 and hip hop, and I'll make sure there's not an artist that I hold in high regard that I'm unaware of that put out, puts out an album, which I'm sure has happened to you and has happened to me over the years. So it's a nice just like, hey, before we get to the end of the year and everybody's hitting you with lists, like, let's talk about it, you know? And, and, and I also, that's a question that I ask my friends that love hip hop. What's your album of the year so far? Like, that's a running question that applies in March, July, September, and December. So, so and we, we did it with EPs, albums, and mixtapes, right? Yeah. So uh, I pushed back on it. Um, for a few reasons. One, I believe that lists in general are starting to lose their relevancy. You know, yeah. I, I think this whole idea of gatekeepers is starting to fall. I think people are going direct to the source and getting their stuff from social media directly mm-hmm. from the artists or whatever it might be. Uh, I also think that if you're listening to Spotify or Apple Music or whatever, um, you're getting stuff pushed in, in an algorithm. And so it's not really, you're not looking to programmers in the same way that you used to. Yeah. The other thing is, I just don't think that people are consuming music generally in the form of entire projects. You know, I think people, you know, will hear songs, they'll get them from, you know, a playlist or, um, you know, you know, just pick and choose what they want and aren't listening to stuff front to back, you know, so, uh, with the rare exceptions like Kendrick or Cole, 
you know, yeah. take someone like that who really, or Rhapsody, who puts out a thematic uh, body of work. So when you combine the two things, I, I don't, I don't know that these are still relevant. I hear you. I um, I also liked it for AFH's perspective for brand. I feel, and and I'll, I still feel this way. We held, we hold a, a stake in the culture that's different than any other publication. And you know, I spent, um, you know, six years at all hip hop and seven years at Hip Hop DX. If my math is right, I've watched how brands differ, and you know, I look at. Um, you know, I look like, let's look at 2019. I look at a project like Sky Zoo and Pete Rock's Retropolitan. And I don't know that there's a place that's going to give that album its just due. Like, it seems it's a little too underground for Complex. And maybe it made their list. I, I don't mean to misspeak. But, you know, we have a, not a captive audience, but an engaged audience to talk about it. But I do agree with you that, and this is one of the things that I loved, and you came up with the idea, um, of at the end of the year, instead of us telling you our 10 best albums or our five or our 30, we let the readers decide it. And we really made it a democratic process the same way we would if we were sitting around just as friends talking about hip hop. And that to me was a lot of fun rather than to try to push our taste on somebody else. Now, mind you, we did on our own come up with, you know, with the staff, um, a bulk of those albums, but we even gave it to Wildcard, which I believe at least once ran the table. So. Yeah, yeah, big crit ran the big table. Crit. Like, yeah, big yeah. Crit. So yeah, I don't know. I mean, but I, I hear you. I, I know growing up, like Herb Magazine, URB, I used to love their lists. Like, and I was one of those guys that if I trusted certain writers or publications, I would run out and not, you couldn't stream, but I would buy the album or I'd go to Blockbuster Music and sit at a listening station. That still matters to me. But you're absolutely right. Like with a Kendrick, everyone's going to hear it. Um, but some of these releases, um, so my album of 2020 so far is Royce, the five, nine allegory. I just, I think it is, I think it's his best album. And I think it is so relevant to what's transpired since he released it in February. And when I hear people talking about 2020, we tend to go maybe for the higher profile or the more recent releases. So I like these lists and these conversations because it's a great way for me to go to people like, yo, check out Royce, like make sure that's on your radar. And at the same time, I want to ask them what's on theirs. Well, before we get into it, let me just ask you this. Is there any public, you talked about Herb Magazine, right? Yeah. Um, and is there any publication now that you would check for and really care about their end of year list? Two. Um, I will give it up to Complex on this, you know, I because um, I feel like they gather an interesting consensus. Now that album might not it might be a pop album. It might be, I forget what it was last year. It might've even been like Ariana Grande or something, but I'm curious because to me, complex represents a finger on the pulse of a certain um, youth culture. And the other one I'll check out because I really respect the writing is DJ booth. And one of the things I love DJ booth put a list out like this last year. Um, and there were projects just like I'm talking about, like uh, this artist out of UK, Dave, which he's a, he's a star in London but it's not somebody that I'm getting press releases on at the time. It's not somebody I'm checking for. And he had an album, I think it was called psychodrama or something like that. That was boom. That was phenomenal to me. So DJ booth complex. What about you? You know, uh, I'm, I'm not sure it'll be interesting this year when I'm not, I don't, I used to do it before because I felt um, obligated out of just like studying and research and making sure that we were always on point, you know, just yeah. like, 
seeing what our competitors were doing and like, you know, it was interesting to me because as the years progressed, the list became more fractured. Mm-hmm. You know, it used to be that, you know, 10, 15 years ago, pretty much every magazine would have the same, like, you know, projects, you know, maybe in different order, but it was what it was. But now, like, I, I find that I learned about a lot of stuff that I hadn't even heard of. Like, I remember a few years ago, um, I hadn't really dug into Gold Link. And when Two Dope Boys uh, had Gold Link, I, like, I checked it out and ended up becoming one of my favorite albums. And I remember... Sure. Pitchfork, um, this is whenever Killer Mike released his R.A.P. music. Um, I had not checked that out. And by the time I listened to it, it would have definitely made the AFH, you know, yeah. year and list had I, had I heard. So I like learning about new stuff like that, you know, and I, I do think it's fractured a bit more. But this year, um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure there's any anyone that is relevant to me anymore. Like, I loved our process. Yeah. Um, and, you know, because, you know, um, I actually think that I, we did one of the best lists, you know, just like trying to be as objective as possible. But, you know, I, I thought that it was reflective not only of our taste, but of our readers and we assembled my staff of, you assembled actually a staff of like 15 to 20 writers. So by the time we opened it up, like I thought it was a really, really great representation. And I look forward to that process. So. I love, I love the year end ones. I mean, the mid year is tricky because I find that years tend to be kind of um, bottom heavy, you know, yeah. especially in, and yeah, I mean, it, but I love I, my whole, since I started at All Hip Hop, I was worked with uh, Chuck Creekmer at the year end for all the years I was there. I love giving artists their flowers. You know what I mean? And, you know, 2005, Sean Price puts out Monkey Bars and we went really hard for it. I personally went really hard for it at All Hip Hop. And that built a relationship that I had with Sean because as people that know the backstory of that album, it was not a high selling album. In many ways, it was kind of his, like, yo, if this doesn't work, I'm taking it to the street um, kind of mantra. And to get to be, to be able to give somebody those flowers is huge. And you and I have been together and, you know, over the years, like a Crip or a Killer Mike, there's artists that weren't always at the status that they are now. And to be able to really get behind them and, and amplify their voice, that's one of the favorite. I don't consider myself a rap critic, but that is one of my favorite things of being a hip hop journalist. Yeah, what do you remember? Is there any project you remember going hard for uh, with AFH uh, that I pushed back on or someone else did? I remember a couple myself, and I actually remember one we didn't do, which I'm wondering if we would have gone back and changed it. You, you know, say so, Tyler? No, uh, nah, nah. Uh, I'll say for me, uh, it was Travis Scott. Okay. Remember, I was the one who pushed for that because there was a lot of resistance to that, to Astral World. Uh, and I'm really, really glad we included that. You know, I agree. I think that, um, you know, from a brand standpoint, it, it, it kept us flexible, not like an old man's brand, you know. Um, but also, I just think it was a very critically acclaimed and, and it's an album that's going to stand the test of time. And so I'm glad that we had our stake in the ground for it. Yeah, and I mean, we, I wholeheartedly didn't include was uh, Benny. Uh, Tana uh, Talk 3. Yeah, yeah. 3, yeah. Uh, that was like, hmm, you know, like we did Gun, Supreme Blinds Up, which is yeah. still a dope pick. But, you know, hindsight, you know, that Benny, Benny joint, although plugs I mean I like better, but like still, I think that, that the 10 of Talk 3 is a, is one we, sh- we probably should have included. What I agree. I, I prefer that album, you know, here we are. Supreme Blind Tell dropped two years ago last week, if I'm not mistaken. Two years later, Tana Talk 3 is a superior album to me. Mm-hmm. And absolutely, there was some. And, and you know, last year, um, 
uh, Blue, you know, veteran MC put out a project on, uh, he put out an, an underground project with the producer and it was Damu the Fudge Monkers. It was so dope. And I felt like I was the only one on staff that listened to it. And I really wanted to rally hard for it, but there was so much good music in 2019. And compare that to 2020, 19 was a great year. I hope in the next six months, 2020 really catches up. Not to say there's bad music, but I don't think there's a guaranteed front runner so far this year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Freddie Gibbs yeah. thinks it's him. You know? Yes. Yeah. So let's get into it. what. It, okay. So you mentioned Royce. Yeah. Uh, what What are your other, some of your other picks for uh, so far, the, the best projects of the year so far? I'm really warming up more and more over the last two or three weeks to run the jewels for, I just, I like that album a lot. You got to be in a certain headspace. You can't like wake up, roll out of bed and play RTJ unless you're doing cardio. Like you've got to be in a headspace for that warming up to that one big time. Um, Deontay Hitchcock, who we talked about on here. I love when an artist that's bubbling um, for years steps forth with a proper body of work. And, um, you know, his joint, uh, which is called, uh, I got my list right in front of me, um, Better is really good. Um, yeah, those are, those are big for me. I know you were, I don't know where it stands with it for you now, but um, you were a big fan of a written testimony by Jay Electronica and kind of sort of Jay-Z too. Yeah, you know, I like that album. You know, I, I must confess I haven't listened to it much since the first week drop, which I think is always kind of the test of time. Yeah. Although nowadays, a lot of times, like once we put some stuff on our playlist on Spotify, I typically just kind of like rock out to that, you know. Yeah. Uh, but I guess that makes my point from earlier, you know. Um but for me, uh, you know, I agree with you with Royce. Uh, I got Jay Alec and Jay there. Uh, Childish Gambino is actually an album that I've listened to quite a bit. Uh, I've listened, and, you know, that's not rap. You know, it's straight art. It's straight soul, R&B, whatever you want to call Funk, it. Funk, yeah. Yeah. Um, but that is one that I've gone to many times. Another one I've listened to a fair amount is uh, West Side Guns, Pray for Paris. That one for me is is really great. And Deontay, I agree with you on that. I just listened to that again yesterday, front to back. Mm-hmm. Uh, my son was like, yo, who is this? And like, yeah, he downloaded it. Um, so that one is, is great for me, you know. Um, you know, so I, I would say those. I know you like D Smoke too, right? That's what I was just going to say. Black Habits is another, like, sort of like Deontay. I mean, D Smoke has been around through the Netflix show. And, you know, he, he kind of, doesn't play it to the front, but that's Sir's brother. And Sir, I, man, I mean, I'm not that you love to make fun of me that I'm not into R&B, but Sir is, you know, his, his projects are phenomenal to me, the, the TDE joints. And um, D Smoke, it's a longer album, you know, um, but it's really impressive. He's got some joints on there, yeah. Did you see that D Smoke and Sir performance in the BT Awards? Yeah, and that was that was a new record, which is not on the album, right? That's their yeah. single that kind of came out in the middle of all of this. What did yeah, you think of that? That was great too. That was great too. You know, I'm a big fan of D Smoke ever since the the Netflix special. I thought I thought yeah. he was really dope. Um, yeah, man, those those are the ones for me. Um, you know, West Side Gun just came out with a new album. Um, uh, yeah, what uh, Fly uh, God is Fly God is an too. awesome guy too. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, uh, it was the first time that I was like, hmm, maybe uh, this is a little bit too much product. You know what I mean? Like, um, it just didn't, there wasn't anything that grabbed me on it yet. Now, like, I'll go back and listen to it again, because uh, it might take a couple spins. But yeah. Pray for Paris was so incredible to me, and such a uh, uh, a departure and an evolution in his sound. 
this one sounded to me like it might have even been recorded beforehand, you know, and, and didn't really um, show me the same progression. But that was one yeah. thought. Have you heard it? Yeah, I listened to it one time, and I kind of agree with you. I, um, I mean, not kind of. I do agree with you. I am not as big of a fan of Pray for Paris as you are. I actually really liked Fly God as an Awesome God, the original one, which dropped, I feel like, the same week last year. And that one, you know, had Madlib production, and um, it just had – it got me. And this one, the new one, I'm, I'm one listening. So, but, yeah, it wasn't that instant, you know, it didn't captivate me like that. So you heard Royce. We both heard Royce like October, November of last year. Slightly yeah. different version. Yeah. But even at as of then, you had said it would have been your album of 2019. Yes. And now you're saying that it's your album of 2020. Yes. What is it that you love so much about the album? It it bucks the trend. Um, you know, it's a longer album. It's extremely conceptual. I mean, it's not like concept like you have to. It's not like damn of like yo. I got to do all this, this mental thinking to figure out what he's doing, but he is taking Plato's the allegory at the cave and um, applying it to hip hop. So there's a lot of underlying themes that run through the whole album of ownership of flipping stereotypes in their head, which we got last year with, you know, black savages. Um, and he really did something else. That's really cool, which, you know, Royce is so respected to a cult audience. And he came in and he knighted people like, um, you know, one of the things that makes me sad on the album that we heard last year versus this one is there was a YBN Corday appearance, which was dope. And it didn't make the album, but he has, you know, Vince Staples, who that might be the best, you know, feature on there. Um, G Perico, Graf, who's not a young artist, but has never gotten the flowers he deserves as an MC. Royce's brother, Kid Vicious, like, he really made it a point of not flooding it with features, but kind of pivoting and shining his light on other people. And all three of the Griselda MCs are on there too with on different songs and they, uh, they make it pop and Royce produced the whole thing himself. And, you know, Royce, I mean, he's one half of prime with, with premiere. Um, but I still think this might be the best produced Royce album. Like I'm, I'm going to go out on that ledge. Wow, yeah, that's you think it was uh, better produced than Book of Brian? Yeah, I do. I mean, just beats like Royce smoked it, and I told him this. We one of the last interviews that we conducted, you know, on the website end um, in late February, I, I went up to New York and talked to Royce, and I was like, one of the things I love is that you not only sampled but created all of these allusions to other songs. You know, one of my favorite joints in the album is. Um, it's with a singer that's throughout Ashley Sorrell and he weaves into not only like day to day nightmares, but the vocab Fuji's remix, which also like it, it, it homages the sample of the sample, but it's not even the beat. It's just the way he's delivering his cadence, you know, on the chorus. And I'm like, to me, this is just such a smart person's hip hop album that captures the zeitgeist of what 2020 is about, not only for hip hop heads, but as I'm sure, and I speculate this, but like, you know, for, for, for black folks, you know, it deals with a lot of those issues of how we are perceived. Black savages is, is the joint, you know, and it, it doesn't need T.I. and Psy High. Like, I, I, I'd be fine on that record with just three Royce verses. You know, and, you know, for Royce to start producing this late in his career, like what, he's like 40 or so, like, I mean, and, yeah. and 
to do it at such a high level that he can, he just started making beats like a couple of years ago or whatever and just and made his entire album. It's really insane. The guy yeah. is like, I don't recall an MC ever having the kind of progression that he's had, you know, with, starting with, um, with Layers, you know, right. which was probably his best album to date at that point. And then Book oh, of Oh, at Ryan, that point, yeah. Then Book of Ryan surpassed that. And you're, you're arguing, you know, I'm not sure for me if this surpasses Book of Ryan, but it's a phenomenal album, you know. But for it to be in that discussion, you know, for him to do this at this point in his career is just yeah. unthinkable. Like, the only Black Thought, like, I think is at that, at that same, level. same level of, like, improvement even at this stage of his career. Yeah, because even Killer Mike, you know, was like a mid-2000s artist to me. I mean, he was around Outkast in the early 2000s. But Royce... I always tell Royce, like, I worked street team for Royce when I was in high school, when he was on very briefly Columbia, I think. And, um, you know, Royce, boom, came out, I think, in 99. It might have been 2000. But I want to ask you something, as we're talking about this network and Detroit MCs. All right, boom, here we are. How do you feel about Eminem's album at the midpoint of the year? Dude, did it come out this year? I can't even remember. January, yeah. It came out January. Well, first of all, this year, I mean, this year, like, everything feels like it's been extended, like, 10x. Um, You know, some, I mean, that was even before Kobe died. Um, I believe so. Please, dude, I I don't even remember the album, really. I mean, (laughs) I I remember the the, the joint with Joyner Lucas. Um, Mm -hmm. That was was a great song. Um, Yeah, I I remember the beats being better than uh, Kamikaze. Uh, and I thought it was a more consistent album than Kamikaze. Um, but dude, like, yeah, I have zero recollection of it. Like, if you hadn't mentioned it, I would not only would I not remember it came out this year, I wouldn't remember that it came out, period. And it's weird because, and again, that's like, you know, we talk about the sneak attacks. Like, M, you know, you and I were among the first to cover that. I mean, hours, minutes after midnight. And, um, but without it being planted in your mind. And obviously, yeah, 2020 just stole the spotlight off the music into Kobe, into COVID, into George Floyd and, you know, um, all these things. Um, yeah. And I agree with everything you said. It's not on my list. It's not. And I, um, it's just not an album that I reach for to play when I'm alone in the car where I have, you know, I'm not around a lot of people this year with, with COVID, but, uh, it's just not that kind of album for me, but it is a better listen for me than Kamikaze all day long. So another notable omission, and this is a surprising one. Um, I, you know, I think if you were to step back and look at both of our tastes, uh, you know, as demonstrated over the last several years, um, one of our favorite producers is Alchemist. Yeah. And one of our favorite MCs is Freddie Gibbs. In fact, you know, uh, Bandana ended up taking the album of the year last year, and that was yours and mine, I think, both. Yeah. Um, Rhapsody, you know, I was right there. Yeah, yeah I, was, I was up there with Rhapsody, too. But um, And then the people, like, voted it in, too, you know. Yeah. Um, and the two of them came together and made an album, but it's not even on our list. So why, why is that? It would be on our list, you know, if we, what we used to do is, like, this would be the 20 best albums of 2020 so far. You know, we did, like, 13 of 2013 so far. It would absolutely be on that list if it would certainly be on the top 15 um, without ahead of the wild card if the year ended today. But it's just it's a it's a good project. I will continue to listen to it, but it's not on the level of me for for me of Royce of even run the jewels. Um, And maybe because we've just gotten so much Gibbs and Alchemist. I mean, this is Alchemist put out like an EP with Conway this year. 
we just got a year ago, Gibbs and Madlib, sort of like what you're saying about West Side Gun. If you, if you eat chocolate chip cookies every day, are they still like, damn, chocolate chip cookies? So maybe we're taking it for granted. Um, but for me, it's just not in that elite winner circle. Well, for me, I, I just don't think either one of them was at the top of his game. You know, I, I just don't think that Gibbs was at the level he was on his albums with Madlib, and I don't think Alchemist gave him that heat that he's given, like School by Q and Evidence and, and like others that we've heard over the last few years. Like, uh, I would actually like to see them do a, a do-over, you know, because I think that if they both kind of really, you know, came with it and sat with it, and I don't know if like, um, you know, I, I highly doubt they were in the studio together, but if they like Maybe. really concocted something together, I'm not sure how much they collaborated versus just kind of traded uh, beats. Yeah. I, I think they could do something special, you know? Well, one maybe, of the maybe my bar was too high, but like it, I just don't hear it the same way that I, I, I thought it was going to. Yeah, and you're always going to judge things by what comes before. I mean, Volume Three by Jay Z is a really good album to me, but for a lot of people, coming you know where it did after you know Volume Two, it just doesn't quite measure up. You know, like you look at it differently, and Madlib and and Gibbs spoiled us. And you know, these guys worked together um, with Currency two years ago on Fetty, and I thought that was a way better album. And I'm not just saying that because Currency was on it. I thought the beats were a little bit tighter. I thought Gibbs was just super sharp on it. Um, there's joints I listen to every day on this album. But as a whole, I agree with you. Um, it, didn't, it didn't measure up to the anticipation for me. Yeah. Well, Gibbs has been in the news a lot Man. last week. Um, you know, just keeping it to the music for a minute. And then I want to go to the other thing. He was on Bootleg Cab. Um, had a great interview. And, you know, Bootleg Kev, he asked him the top five MCs question, but in a kind of a cool way. He said, like, if, you know, if you were uh, a five-on-five basketball squad, who else would be on your squad besides yourself, you know? Um, And he said, Pusha T, Black Thought, Kendrick Lamar, and Drake. Yeah. Um, And then he gave, like, honorable mentions to Royce, Killer Mike, and Benny as being the best MCs in the game right now. Yeah. Now, you know, I don't think any of those, I don't think any of those are controversial except for Drake. Now for a dude who's as credible as Freddie Gibbs is, you know, um, not only in street cred, but as an artist um, to give Drake, who has been dragged over the years for, you know, um, having had people write for him and things like that to give it up to Drake's pen game like that. What kind of a statement is that? I think it's a real statement. Um, you know, I, I, I don't think it's fluff. Like part of me thinks that, okay, in the next year we'll see a collaboration. I don't know. What Drake feature is that? <laughs> I think it already exists truly. Like I'm, this is pure speculation, but I have a feeling it exists because that's a Drake style power move is to go get like, some guys like Gibbs on whatever his next thing is. Maybe it's a standalone single, but um, also like, I don't disagree with Gibbs and I've never been, you know, the loudest in Drake's cheering section, either as a singer or as a rapper. But I think that he makes people memorize bars in a way that Jay-Z did the way that early Kanye did and the way Tupac did Biggie. And that counts for something. And, you know, um, Drake, you got to give it to the guy. I'm not mad at that list at all. The only thing that I'll say is, you know, in terms of the diplomatic lists of finding the biggest kind of spitters, so to speak, 
is J. Cole an omission or is that just, no, nah, this is my starting five? I don't owe anyone an honorable mention just politically. That's a really interesting question. Um, that's a really interesting question. Cole didn't even come up. My, my guess is that they forgot about him. Maybe. You know, I, I think that uh, – and Cole has been quiet. Like, real, well, Actually, he's, you know, the Dreamville stuff has been cool and he's had a ton of features. But in terms of like a solo project, it's been – KLD was what, two two years ago was, or something? That was 18 and then Revenge of the Dreamers 3 was 19. Number one album, Grammy yeah. nominated. But he I was can't... You know, just a smattering on that. You know, he wasn't, you know, eh, maybe two I challenge you a little bit so. on that. I don't consider Cool Quiet right now, especially by Kendrick standards, especially by, you know, I don't know. But, I, and I've always loved this about Gibbs. He is, um, and we'll talk more about this in a second, but Gibbs is his own person. And I remember when he came in to the next level, like Gibbs has been around since the mid-2000s, signed the Interscope, put it, made an album, never came out. And Gibbs came out and he had no problem criticizing the the demigods of hip hop. I remember early in his career, he said things about Eminem that were controversial of just like, eh. And so to give this list, it makes his cosign of Drake, I think even that more meaningful because whether there's a collaboration or not, I don't look at Gibbs as somebody who gets too backslappy political. Yeah, you know, Cole has definitely not been quiet in terms of features and things like that. I gotta, I gotta just think that was a an omission. But to Drake, so let me, so I will say this: there is no question that the bars that Drake has spit over the last ten years are up there with the best. Period. Yeah. There's like he's in my mind is him, Kendrick, and Cole, and because he's been more prolific than any of them, Drake definitely like kind of has like it, like a place of his own. The question is, do we believe that the vast majority of those bars have been written by Drake? I think so. I think so, too. I yeah. actually think so, too, because the, the style is so, like, uh, consistent. You know, so if that's the case, then yes, I think Drake belongs there. If it's not, then, you know, I, I, I'm not sure I, you can put him in that spot. So that's that's the only question for me. Yeah, I mean, I think it's I think it's, I think it's fun. It's funny in the way that, like, you know, Drake – you know, the Quentin Miller ghostwriting stuff, it'll always be there. It's Barry Bonds on Balco, you know, but even still, it wasn't like that song, you know, what was it, Rico? It wasn't like that song was a juggernaut in Drake's career. Yeah. Um, but it'll, it'll always be something that's held against him. But Drake, it's like Barry Bonds before he was using that. He was still a phenomenal 30-30 player, and Drake is that. And if I'm picking a starting five, You'd be you'd be a fool not to put that you know Drake Kendrick. That's a great starting five. Yeah, and his, it's a great list of honorable mentions too. His time and place, like you know, uh, four a.m. in Calabasas, uh, six p- six a.m. wherever, like those joints. Those joints, are ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, diplomatic immunity. I mean, the dude. There are songs where he nonstop just blacks out. You know what I mean? He just blacks out. Yeah, I can't even say he blacks out on nonstop. But again, that's one of those songs that I know verbatim. And I'm this, right. you know, I'm a 36 year old dude. Like I'm not an Instagram lyric quoter, but I'm like, yo, you made us remember lyrics the same way that Kanye did in like the late registration graduation era. And, and I will always say hip hop needs that hip hop needs more than like, Oh, this is a cool beat, cool chorus. Right. Make people care about bars again. And right. ghostwriter or not Aubrey Drake Graham's done that. Yeah. We're going to get to Kanye, too. We're going to get to this. Yeah. This is going to turn into a real conversation. Okay. Yeah, man. All right. So, um, you know, but on Gibbs, right? So the second thing he was in the news for was 
uh, a little verbal dust up with DJ Academic. So I'm not sure I'd even say little. <laughs> okay, all right. So break it down then. So uh, Gibbs last week. Um, I don't think it was Billy Kibb. I think it was LA Leakers or somebody. Uh, forgive me for not knowing. Gibbs has asked about Jeezy, who Jeezy signed Gibbs. Not much came in that situation. He said he's not relevant. Um, DJ Academics, part of Everyday Struggle on Complex, takes that quote and says, if, if, if Jeezy, if young Jeezy's irrelevant, then basically you're not even on the radar, Freddie Gibbs. Um, and he does it on the show, if I'm not mistaken. And Gibbs catches wind of that, and it starts to escalate. And Academics moves this to his own platform, I believe Twitch, and continues to double down on why Gibbs is basically a middle-class rapper. Like, you know, Academics says, my house is as big as yours. Boom, boom, boom. Like, it got, it got strange. It got really strange from a media versus artist personality. And Gibbs went, you know, he went nuclear, in my opinion. He... um. He made a lot of fun of academics. He took pieces of the quote and like made them, I can't say viral, but he made them, you know, tweet 10,000 times online, making fun of the way academics speaks. He pulled up stuff from his college background. He pulled up tweets that were pretty damning of him talking about um, the catch me outside girl. Uh, like he, Gibbs went all in. Wait, and catch I, me outside girl and, and the college stuff. What, what, what were those? I'm not. I didn't, I didn't yeah. I mean, I was thoroughly entertained. So, time out like I don't know much about academics I know that he's become a leading aggregate on Instagram prior to being on complex but I've been in this too long and I'm frankly too old to know follow like the day by day of how academics built his brand but I learned through this that he went to Rutgers and got in trouble as an RA which I was an RA in college too um, for some sort of a theft or something Gibbs pulls that up and I'm sure people are feeding this to Freddie and then a few years ago, he had tweeted, you know, um, what's her name? Daniela Bruzy or whatever, the uh, Catch Me Outside, you know, Bad Baby, the rapper. You know who I'm talking about? Nah, nah. You don't know I'm that? Not, not oh, man. Like, I'm too old man. for that. All right, you're, yeah, okay. <laughs> I think most people, whether they know anything else, this girl's on Dr. Phil, signs to Atlantic, builds a kind of a ringtone rap career on it but she's like she's like four or five years ago something like that like a, a, yeah a and she's still kicking yeah. around um some very odd cultural appropriation going on with yeah, her. yeah 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 so okay I, but I'm starting, yeah. she's underage like at least at the time and in academics according to what gibbs tweeted had made like a comment of like yo she's got some things for a 15 year old like mm. not good not not good not company good stuff yeah. Yeah, and um, well, so all of this had the same problem, right? Like words, birds and, and feathers. Yeah, but so they're together, and um, and Takashi actually gets involved in this story. I won't even; it's not even worth going there. But what's wild is academics in the same one or two, three days calls Chrissy Teigen the b-word and right. acts like he's got a beef, whether true or not, with John Legend and Chrissy Teigen, and then boom, it leads to his suspension from the show which I don't know um, how long that is. I saw, I read somewhere it was going to be at least three episodes. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, to me, why I thought this was so interesting is, um, you know, as somebody part of the media, there is a level of accountability. I know snark wins. Snark always wins on social media. If you can make a funny joke at an artist's expense, you can kind of catch some clout for a day. And to me, that's always something, and I'm not saying that academics is necessarily a journalist, but he is a member of the media. 
and it went to a very real place with an artist. I think Gibbs' whole pedigree is somebody he does not back down. Um, and he certainly showed that. He made T-shirts that made fun of academics, immediately created a merch site for him. Like, he went all in. Um, and I don't necessarily think it ends here. You know, um, I, I would say snark is, is maybe uh, a euphemism. You know, I think it's beyond that. I think it's, it's, it's trolling. And I think that trolling season, like actively uh, hunting people, whether it be a Takashi or academics uh, or Donald Trump or Kanye or whoever has been in high season for the last, like, you know, uh, maybe eight years or so, you know, uh, the era of genteel press and, and genteel politicians and, and people like that is gone, right? The, the biggest and often the most aggressive personalities have won. Uh, but what we're seeing over the last several weeks, I think, is um, a, a refutation of that, you know. Um, you're seeing it in the corporate world. People are uh, refuting uh, management that has been, you know, um, domineering or abusive or whatever it might be. Uh, you're starting to see it with, with Trump's tweets now and the policing that's happening with that. And Facebook is being um, boycotted into having to do something with that too. Academics, you, you mentioned the Chrissy Teigen thing and Complex suspended him for, an, uh, you know, an undisclosed, he says two shows, whatever, but who knows how long it's supposed to be. There are now repercussions for, we're going back to a world where what you say actually matters, right? You know, like in a world like back before pre-social media, which is when it really started, you said half the things you, you did, you know, with Twitter fingers, you know, to quote a joke, a Drake line to a person's yeah. face, you're getting punched and yeah. dead in your grill, right? Like you're not going to do it. Um, and this, you know, this digital era has emboldened a lot of people, but we're now starting to see ramifications that are for words in the digital space. So do you think troll season is coming to an end? No, I think it will always be there, but I think it's important that the consequences are stated, you know, and it's funny. One of my favorite movies is Days and Confused. I don't know if you've ever seen that, but there's yeah. a line in the movie where... Oh, yeah, many times. I love Days and Confused. Yeah, the Richard dude... Richard and, uh, you know, exact killed it. And all that, yeah. The iconic role, but the yeah. guy, like the nerdy guy is being bullied and he's like, man, when fights start, they all end within 30 seconds. Right. And when that doesn't happen the way that he wants, when you throw a punch, um, I think Twitter... I think, I think that so many Twitter beefs and online things end quickly of like, yo, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It made head, it made headlines. Both parties kind of benefit from the free attention. There is a line there. And I, I think that Gibbs is going to come up on this. I think that Gibbs is a super talented rapper who made his way into some mainstream headlines this week. And whether you like the album or not, people are going to say, okay, what's this guy about? Like he's funny. He made these t-shirts. Boom. Meanwhile, academics, I think, has a lot to lose. And while his suspension isn't necessarily directly related to Freddie Gibbs, I mean, you know, that's a livelihood. And to, to go, whether he was, a lot of people speculate that on Twitch he was a little bit tuned up, had a few drinks, um, it can all come crashing down. I loved, um, loved Star and Buck Wild. Like, huge fan. I, I listened when they were in Philly. I used to love listening when I was around New York. Um, and, you know, Star... Star's words cost him his job. And I felt that that was a great disservice to radio, which gave way to the Breakfast Club. And then you look at it, and I'm like, some of the most iconic Breakfast Club moments are Charlemagne or Envy, you know, having tense exchanges with their guests, whether you want to talk about Birdman or Fredro Starr or Little Mama. 
Um, so for a lot of folks, this seems like a way into the light. Be controversial. But the way that you go about it, you got to be careful on two levels. One, that you don't say the wrong thing and lose your job if you're not an independent platform. And uh, two, that you don't say something that's going to cost you um, in the street. And I'm sure a lot of people have seen videos of guys running up on Charlemagne. That happened years ago. I don't think it would happen now. I hope not. But, you know, academics, unless he's doing better than I ever realized, like, yo, you can be touched um, and anything like this. And I, I hope it doesn't come to that. But if I'm talking about an artist's livelihood and his family and his wife, yo, that's, that's a place I would never go. And as an editor-in-chief at all the places I worked, I would always ask my writers, and you've been part of this discussion with me, if you're going to be snarky on Twitter and you're going to take pot shots, please take my publication, our publication, our publication that you write for out of your bio. Yeah. I do not want – I don't want to walk down the street or see somebody at a party that's ice grilling me or worse because of something that you said for some – some Twitter love or some Instagram clout. That's just yeah. corny to me. I mean, we've had that. We've had, we've that. had like, that. We've with had people that. that we, we uh, love, love and care very about. dear, you know, like, uh, you know, rappers have called them out and, and made songs about verses about them, you know, and that's and, happened and, to me and, for and, years and, and yeah. added us for yeah. the stuff that we were not really responsible for. Okay. So you don't think troll season is over. And your point is that, you know, the trolls have been held, uh, have been held accountable to some degree in the past, like star, you know, being suspended, Wendy Williams being suspended, stuff like that. Um, I do believe that there's a different level of accountability surfacing now, you know, um, with, with people like act uh, being um, called out. And I think it's part of this whole movement that's going on yeah. now too. You know, um, it'll be interesting to see, like uh, I think next up could be like the Sean Hannity's of the world and people like that. You know, you mentioned, Charlemagne and Charlemagne started off that way, but I, I believe that he is, he's moved his brand to uh, a different place now with a lot more journalistic integrity. And yeah. I don't see him as being a troll. He can still be provocative, but I think he yes. asks like tough questions more so than any than unfair questions, you know, and I don't see it as, as a, as a, as a, an attempt to get attention, you know? No. And I'm not even sure that it ever was. I mean, I think he made for great radio moments, those examples I mentioned, but it wasn't even like, you know, it wasn't even coming. He's been more strategic like than that. And, you know, he's made comments about Birdman. Birdman appears on the show. Boom. There's backstory like that. That's entertaining. I mean, yeah. um, but yeah, I, I agree with you. And for all of us, myself, you included, like we all have to think I, I joke all the time. I'm not on Twitter anymore. I haven't been in more than five years but I was the least controversial Twitter account. I just said stuff I was listening to and, you know, I might tweet an article that I wrote. Um, yeah. And it doesn't build cloud in this world. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but I'd rather it my way than on the come up. So one of the most powerful trolls in my mind of the, of the last decade has been Kanye. Uh, you know, and he's been a troll for good and a troll for, for uh, what others would not see as good. You know, yeah. a troll for good is, you know, starting with, uh, the Hurricane Katrina telephone, you know, where yeah. literally like George Bush, like does not like care about black people. Yeah. You know, that was, that was a powerful, powerful thing. He was trolling a president at a time when that just was not done on a national telephone, uh, on, on the, on the biggest platform possible. That was amazing. Yeah. And then, yeah. And then uh, that was, uh, that was, yeah. And then, um, you know, with Taylor Swift, 
you know, and the succession of like, you know, stage crashing, like um, award shows. Yeah. And, you know, people were, um, you know, a lot of people were down for, for, for that cause. But then it shifted toward trolling for Trump, you know, um, going hardcore on MAGA and uh, TMZ. trolling for himself for a while too. And then like, you know, slavery comments and things like that. And now, today, Kanye, or, you know, yesterday, uh, on the 4th, Kanye announced that he is uh, running for president in 2020. Uh, he had said that back in 2015 at the VMAs once again, you know, um, but then his friend Donald Trump got elected, and, then, you know, I guess he had shifted it to 2024, but for now, whatever, for whatever reason, he's saying 2020. Now, first of all, I don't take it seriously at all. You know, it coincides with him having released yeah. a new song with Travis Scott, which is I want to talk about that too, but he, he, he released that. Um, it also, you know, just keeps him in the zeitgeist and Kanye is amazing at staying relevant in, or at least in people's mouths, you know, pause. Um, so, uh, <laughs> yeah. um, there's that, but then also like, um, you know, I don't know that anyone really would ever vote for Kanye, uh, but, but some people are, are concerned that he actually might start, if he, furthers this and like takes it seriously he might actually weaken biden and siphon off youth and you know people like that and do you think that's possible or do you think people just see this as kanye being kanye it's really hard to say like that has been one of my thoughts this morning i mean elon musk uh went and gave him his endorsement uh for kanye and yeah i mean i i like to think in my circle absolutely not but you and I spoke about it, I believe, on last week's show of, you know, you can't get your hand on a pair of Yeezys right now. Like, there's people out here that not only look up to Kanye in a deeper way um, beyond his musical ability, but there's also people that love a troll that would love to, you know, probably post an I voted sticker and do Kanye as a write-in. And yeah, I mean, those young people are people that I feel like could just as easily be swayed to vote for joe biden you know um it's it's a really odd time and like you i do not take it seriously but i kind of had a barack obama like jackass moment <laughs> when i saw that tweet you know yeah you know i just see this him like you know goofing on july 4th and and being a supreme troll you know it is what it is yeah. uh you know and i think it probably did raise awareness for the song um you know uh, uh wash 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 us in the blood is that uh, yeah i believe so which, you know, have you, you heard it? You listened to it? Yeah, many times. Um, yeah. Just trying to get a feel for it. What did you think? Dude, I heard it. First of all, like, I live in West L.A., and I go into this, like, mom and pop's ice cream store. Uh, you know, tons of, like, suburban moms and stuff, and they're yeah. banging, like, that watch us in the blood <laughs> yesterday. I'm like, yeah, this is super bizarre. Like, I yeah. mean, first of all, it's crazy that they're up on the song, like, a day, like, into it. But secondly, that it's blasting loudly, yeah. you know. Um, but, you know, the song... You know, actually, I, I will say when I heard it in the ice cream store, it was like, oh, this is kind of bang. <laughs> you know, even though like it's it's, it's typical Kanye, like yeah. it's rhythmic. It, it it grows on you and it gets lodged in your head, you know. Um, but when I watched the video, like the video was disturbing to me. The imagery, like even though it's, um, you know, I guess in theory, a Christian song, like I found the, the images to be. Uh, disturbing and even maybe like demonic looking uh, you know I don't know if that was the intent you know yeah. uh, but like it was it, it felt it felt like un, I felt very uneasy watching it what, what did you think 
Yeah, I felt, I mean, the whole song to me feels like it's almost like a spillover from Ye, uh, Yeezus from 2013. Like that frantic energy. I agree with you. Like, I really like the beat I heard. Um, so I've only listened on Spotify. In the credits, Dre is not mentioned when I looked this week. But I heard several people say that Dre mixed the record. This is like the first thing the public's hearing out of, you know, their... Uh, their work together, which Kanye had mentioned last week, you know, on a social media tweet um, of being in Dre's studio. I didn't love the song. And, you know, in the, in, in the first three, four or five albums, Kanye's first singles were, they were moments to me, like up until power, um, you know, on, on dark fantasy. And ever since I haven't, Kanye's singles have not moved me towards what he's doing anymore. Um, so I heard, I heard somebody say, and I, I, I agree with this, like I'm anxious to see the song if it becomes part of an album, which it may never, how it fits in there. I thought it was interesting. I thought it was worth listening three, four or five times this week, but I didn't love it. I didn't love it, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, you know, I think it's one that like, um, well, like I said, even by listen number two, it had grown on me a lot. I think I'm probably going to end up liking it a lot by the end of the summer. That's my take. You know, and you mentioned Jesus. I had a very similar reaction to Jesus. I did not like it at all when I first heard it, but I ended up having it on like my my uh, top ten of the year for that year. Yeah, you know, um, I think most people know that Travis was the the muse behind that album, um, yeah. so it makes sense that um, it could be like a, a throwaway from 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 that time or, or reworking from that time or something like that. Um, but, you know, um, in any case, um, they've collaborated many times in the past and not surprising they would come up with something that's kind of dark like that. You know? Yeah, and I don't, I think Ronnie J um, did the track with Kanye and they had worked together on the album last year. Um, yeah, you know, and, and I agree with you. Yeezus is an album that I would, you know, you look back at, I think, what was it, June 13th, 2013 or June 26th, the day that, you know, J. Cole, Kanye, Mac Miller, and I always thought that Mac Miller and it wasn't Pittsburgh bias made the best album of those three, especially at the time. But Yeezus is one of the best bad day, angry day albums of recent memory. And mm -hmm. it took me months and weeks to appreciate that record for what it is. Yeah. Uh, August Alcina and Jaden Pickett. Do we want to test yeah. that or no? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, <laughs> Zach Gelfinagas has this joke where he says, you know, I'll file that under who gives a fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of am in those shoes, <laughs> but it was a major moment um, this week. So you, we talk about trolling, right? Um, well, first of all, I, I, I broke down academics versus Gibbs. Um, why don't you give the backstory on, on this one? This is a crazy one, man. I've, I've met August many times. Uh, I worked with him quite a bit early in his career when he was at uh, BET. Um, very complicated kid. You know, um, I always liked him personally. Um, he was very humble, very, um, very gracious. Um, you know, um, you know, I think well-intentioned kid, you know, um, and I use the term kid because, you know, he was much younger than I, I think I met him when he was either in his late teens or early twenties. Um, but you know, there were some sides too, you know, like he actually had a, a, an uh, incident with one of our hosts where he was very disrespectful to her. And uh, remember to speak to him about that. That was not cool, you know, um, and certainly wouldn't have been, was not tolerable then, but definitely now would have been a really terrible look. Um, 
you know, so not without his complications, you know. Um, and I will say that seeing him on Angela Yee's show, he was a very different person than the person I remember meeting, you know, uh, just the way he spoke. Um, and, you know, his hair, multicolored, things like that. His speech seemed to be kind of pressured to me, you know, kind of the way that um, Kanye's speech became over time. So I'm wondering if there are other things that might be going on, you know. Um, but he um, was talking to Angela Yee about rumors about he and Jada Pinkett having a relationship. And he spoke very, very explicitly about the fact that they had a very intense uh, uh, romantic relationship and that he gave his all to that relationship. And she is the first person he had given his all to as a person and that he has no regrets over that. And he says that um, he received a lot of, um, uh, I guess, verbal abuse, a lot of shade over that from people, um, you know, for being a, a homewrecker or trying to break up, like, you know, Will and Jada's family and things like that. And on the Angela E interview, he says that um, that's just not the case, that he actually went and spoke with Will. And, um, you know, Will gave him his permission blessing. for them to have yeah. his, bless, his blessing to have yeah. this relationship, um, you know, uh, I guess because, and, and the way that August talked about it was that they had evolved their marriage into a life partnership. And I've heard Will talk in terminology like that. I didn't understand that that's what it meant, but, you know, he's saying that they're life partners, not necessarily romantic anymore. Um, and so um, it was a really uh, uh, explicit and detailed conversation, you know, and very surprising, but, you know, Jada is supposedly going to respond via red table talks, but neither she nor Will has made any official comment. And he, August also said that he had given both of them the heads up that he was going to speak publicly about this prior to the interview. I did see, and, and again, this is just uh, what I saw, but that representatives for both Will and Jada said this is false, but this is not accurate. And then um, August had put up kind of a cryptic uh, social media post since then. But I did see the red table talk. I was curious if you think it will include August Alsina or just kind of be um, Jada, her mom and Willow speaking. No, I definitely don't see it, including him. Okay. Uh, that would validate him a bit too much, but uh, yeah. Yeah. Did you watch the clip? Uh, parts. I didn't watch okay. the whole thing. Yeah. But you watched that part though? Yeah. 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 Did you and, agree with my assessment? Did something not seem right? Yeah. I mean, I don't know August Alcina like that, but it, it did seem odd. And I've, I've wondered, you know, I, I kind of liken it to the Ray J Kim K stuff of like, you know, obviously he didn't bring it up. He was asked about it, but it was, it was odd. And, you know, I will and Jada Pinkett Smith have a relationship that throughout my coming of age was just something we looked up to. I mean, they were both young, um, successful, black, uh, you know, the way that, you know, Will Smith has these incredible motivational things that, you know, about life and success and love and all these things. And, you know, we've seen that challenge a bit. And I remember one of the best interviews I've seen in the last three, four years was him on Rap Radar. And he spoke about marriage and how marriage doesn't always look like what we're taught. And it's not always about necessarily like, um, he didn't say monogamy, but there was allusions to that where this could all make sense. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's it's part of a bit of a messy curiosity that I think we're all guilty of, of like, yo, what's the real inner workings of this Hollywood power couple? And how does this, you said kid, and I know, like, he's 
probably 20 years younger than Jada at least. How does he fit in the mix? That's just wild. You know? Yeah. 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 You know, um, uh, you know, I wouldn't, you know, put it in the who gives a, you know, but, <laughs> but I would put it in the category of it's not really our business. You know what I mean? Um, like, you know, I think that what people choose to do uh, in the privacy of their own homes and their yeah. own you know, bedrooms or whatever it might be um, is what it is, you know? And uh, you know, um, yeah, which is why I'm actually glad that we in generally didn't cover stories like this, you know, um, cause the, yeah. gossip, the gossip part, like, you know, I, I, I guess that's my philosophy on all, all the gossip generally. It, it is tricky though. Like this, I mean, maybe we cover once Jada responds. I don't think we'd search the, the salaciousness of, of where we're at with it right now. Um, you know, but like we had to cover and it was really odd, you know, MF doom son died, you know, Kim Porter passed away. Like, we've covered things that fit into the family space. Um, but to me, that's, that's relevant because these are artists that we hold in high regard and we want to know what's going on in their lives. You know, um, recently I saw Dr. Dre is getting a divorce with his wife and I don't know oh, that wow. that's something that we would cover. Maybe, that, yeah. maybe not, but it, yeah. it also affects history because he meets his, his, his current wife, you know, possibly ex-wife at the exact moment that he leaves death row. Right. So all of these things have weird intersections and, um, but yeah, this one, and it's amazing how it just leverages platforms because you know, that'll be the, that'll be probably the biggest red table talk yet. And we're just coming off of the one, you know, with Snoop earlier this year, which was kind of a must see moment covered in the mainstream. Yeah, no, that's true. That's true. And Jada, you know, um, her history with hip hop is significant, you know, with, uh, not only with Will, but with Tupac and, she's been a figure who's interwoven into it. So yeah. Yeah. It'll be interesting, man. Yeah, man. So, uh, history, um, is going to be told, um, BT Rough Riders documentary in the works coming out Looks in dope. September yeah. and, uh, Master P no limit one coming out too. Um, yeah. You're excited to see both of those. The Rough Riders preview looked really dope to me. And that's a story that I just got to say for as much content as they're out there, you know, I've never necessarily had the interest to sit through like a long form DNY podcast somewhere, even when they, I think they spoke to combat Jack and it's the real and different people. I want to see that told visually. Um, and I got to know those guys a little bit over the years, but this looks good. The master P one, it feels like it's been in the works for a long time. And I'm just going to go out on a limb and venture to guess that it's so hard to produce uh, new content right now with the way COVID's gone that maybe it was kind of ready and BET was like, yo, the death row stuff a few years ago did well. Boom, let's take it. Like these become like watch while tweeting moments. Um, and I'm down to watch both. Those are stories that I'm, I'm with. Yeah, I mean, I just hope they're done well. You know, I think yeah. that the last dance has set a different standard for uh for documentaries you know and so and and even hip-hop evolution which i think is phenomenal um, Big so so i want to see something that's really really well done yeah you know, like defiant uh, the, the ones death one didn't didn't no. fit that criteria for me you know so no. i love hip-hop evolution yeah, i love ones. yeah yeah that that level which i don't know if we're gonna get but i don't know no limit a story that i've been hold been told a number of times you probably have too rough riders looks interesting to me and i saw that x is part of it um which is is key you know that was one of the drawbacks of the death row one is you're never going to get dre unless it's something that he owns like the defiant ones to come back and talk about that you'll never get suge in the unrestrained format that it should be told so yeah 
Yeah. So, uh, yeah, man, that's, that's, that's all I got. Um, anything else, anything else we didn't cover you want to hit? No, man, it's been a, it's been an action packed week. And every time we think we're going to hit the dog days of summer, it doesn't, uh, doesn't quite go that way. So this was, this was good. And, um, you made a bunch of, uh, we made a bunch of additions to the playlist. So I encourage everyone to check that out, you know, on the new music tip. Um, yes. Ambrosia for heads on Spotify. Yes. Yeah. So no nah, man, that's it. What's your uh, what's your song of the week? Yeah, my song of the week, man. I'm gonna go with the extended version, the 21 21 minute version of Princess America. Mm. Uh, you know, I think that uh, it's a very complicated song that fits a very complicated time. You know, and uh, with this Fourth of July having just passed, I think it it's appropriate. So that's that's my song of the week. Word. Yeah. I'm going to go, um, you know, I want to go with some new music. I, I tend to pick a lot of throwbacks. And since you kind of went throwback, I have the storm by Rashid Chappelle, who's a dope MC out of North Jersey. Um, and it's produced by 38 Spech, who's out of Rochester, New York, I believe. And uh, it features Shane Noir, which I hope I'm saying that correctly. Uh, an MC out of Buffalo that has an album dropping this week with Apollo Brown. And she is a beast. Like she's dope. She's got a joint with Apollo and Black Thought out right now. That was my song of the week a month or so ago. And uh, that is my most anticipated project right now that we know about. So yeah. I encourage everyone, check that out. Rashid Chappelle has one of the illest voices. And Shay Noir with the guest verse just smokes it. Yeah, she's dope. She's so, so dope. Love her. Cool, man. Yo, well, uh, good talking as always. And uh, we got a couple of really special episodes coming up. So please stay tuned. Be on the look. All right, man. Have a good one. All right, man. Later. Peace.